Well, good evening and welcome to Tuesday Night Live. Wow, we are so glad that you have tuned in this evening. And I am telling you something good is going to happen for you. Now, to you that's watching in another part of the world, uh, you in the Philippines and you in Asia, it's already Wednesday morning. How was Tuesday evening for you? Was it a great day? I'm sure it was. And I believe today is going to be a great day for you, all of you that's watching in Asia. Thank you so much for joining in and being a part of the meeting tonight. I call it meeting because we have a guest somewhere else, and I'm here, and you're there, so we're all meeting together, but we're meeting together for one purpose, and that is to lift up Jesus Christ. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So that's the purpose, is to bring you hope, to bring you encouragement, to let you know that God loves you no matter where you are, who you are, what you might have done, you can't stop God from loving you. <laughs> that, that's hard to comprehend. That God, no matter what, that you can't stop God from loving you. You know, people sometimes, they quit loving us. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of people say, well, I just fell out of love. Well, God doesn't fall out of love with anybody. He just loves you no matter what you do. That doesn't mean you need to stay in a lifestyle that's wrong or bad. But when you come to Jesus, he helps you and he picks you up and he'll take your hand and he will lead you and guide you into a life of joy, peace, happiness, and no condemnation. And isn't it wonderful to know that God is a good God? I, I like that. I think I'll say it again. God is a good God. That just sounds good to me. And it's not just me saying it. It's the truth. He's a good God. He doesn't hurt. He doesn't harm. He doesn't do bad things. You know, the devil is the one that causes bad things. John 10 and 10 says, The thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to introduce my lovely guest that I have with me. And... I believe her testimony, I believe her words that she's going to share with you, I believe will revolutionize your life. And if you've got someone that is in the dark pit of sin or in darkness, and, and it seems like maybe to you they're getting worse, I believe this will be a great encouragement for you. And you that are watching on Facebook, if you will real quickly share this, this will help you to reach your friends and it'll be a blessing to us because we'll reach people that I don't know and that uh, I couldn't reach on my own. But you that are watching on Facebook, uh, I'd appreciate it if you would share this. Anyway, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to introduce my uh, guest for this evening. Father, I thank you for your word that never changes. Your word is alive, it's active, it's operative. It's alive in us, and we're so grateful that we have you to depend on and trust. 
help all of our viewers, those that's watching now and those that will watch it later. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord will anoint my guests, will anoint me, and will anoint all the people that's a part. That their ears will be open, their hearts will be open to receive. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity that you have given us to share your goodness. And I believe your blessings will be on this tonight in Jesus' name. Well, I have known my guest for, uh, I guess, close to 15 years. And uh, she's a very lovely person. And uh, she's had a dark lifestyle, walking in darkness, walking in sin. But after I met her, of course, she had already had a life-saving change. And I'm going to have her to explain and talk to you in just a little bit about her life of what she went through and how God came in and instantly changed her inside. And now she is a totally new person spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my guest is none other than Judy Lamborn from St. Louis, Missouri. Judy, welcome. Thank you, Pastor Don. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you and be with you today. Well, you know, I'm just delighted that you said yes. You know, I know people are busy this day and time and finding time to make these uh, recordings and do things live. It's just, our world is so complex anymore, but uh, I believe that, um, you, know, you know, my wife told me, she said, um, I was praying and she said, uh, she came in and she said, I was the one praying who to have, but my wife came in and she said, why don't you have Judy Lamborn on with you? And I said, what a great idea. I believe I will. I'll call her and see if she'll do it. So here you are, Judy. Here we are. I'm so grateful, so grateful, Pastor Don, to be with you today. I love you and Miss Sharon. Rick and I have known you uh, probably since 1999 would have been the, the first year that Rick and I met you. Oh, met it's you a little longer than I, than I thought, actually. Uh -huh. Well, that's wonderful. Well, listen, Judy, you have had a... Uh, a lifestyle that a lot of people have never experienced in maybe one way or the other, but uh, I'm just so grateful for you, for your husband Rick, and for what God has done in your life. So why don't you just give us a little history of your, your, your beginnings, and then we'll go into your story. Sure, sure. So my my beginning isn't probably unlike a lot of people that we both know. I was born to a single mother in the mid-60s in Southern California, and she was contemplating whether or not she wanted to marry my birth father. And so they made an arrangement to get married and traveled, got on a train, went to Las Vegas, and they were going to get married there. And she was pregnant with me, but unfortunately, while she was there, she discovered uh, that this man wasn't exactly who he had said that he was and so she left she left Vegas and went back to Southern California and just really was faced with a hard decision because she wanted the best for me she wanted the best for this baby but she knew she was going to be a single mother and her father was very ill and she was in line to take over the family business which was a bar on Hollywood Boulevard and she didn't think that that was the best place to raise a little girl so she made the decision to give me up for adoption and now this many years removed from it I'm so glad that she decided to give birth to me and not have an abortion which would have been a much quicker uh, but 
a painful solution to that issue. But as my story progresses, you'll see how God turned that around as well. So I was placed for adoption and uh, I was born in 66 and I was placed, you would look in at this family, Pastor Don, and you would say, wow, it's the perfect family. Um, Southern California, a mom, a dad, they had a little boy who was two years old, went to church every Sunday. The mom and the daughter wore matching dresses. She sang in the choir, dad ran the soundboard, the perfect family, if you looked at it from the outside. But unfortunately, it was a really different story on the inside. Church was kind of like a social club for us on Sundays, but behind closed doors, there was a lot of abuse. Now that I'm an adult, I understand that I grew up with verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. And when I was old enough, um, there was times of, of sexual abuse as well. So I grew up with a lot of fear. Pastor Don, I was terrified of my parents, mostly my mother, because she was the disciplinarian in my family. And they believed in uh, in spanking, but unfortunately it was administered with anger and not love. And so I grew up getting beat with a piece of PVC conduit. I got beat with a horse whip. Uh, there was several times when I had to wear long sleeves, long pants to school so that other people wouldn't see what was on my arms. So as a child um, growing up, you can imagine what that does to somebody. Um, I just sunk back into myself and inwardly really developed quite a bit of hatred, bitterness and resentment towards my parents, especially my mother. I didn't understand why she treated me the way she did and I never understood why my father never intervened to try to help me. Now this, this side of it, being an adult now, I understand that they were doing the very best that they could, right? And there was a, there's been a lot of forgiveness and a, a lot of healing that's had to take place. But when you grow up in a situation like that, um, the enemy will make sure that he puts in front of you everything he possibly can to try to destroy you as early as he can. I was introduced to pornography at 12 years old. 12 years old was the first time I was introduced. And because I didn't have an example of what a godly woman should be in my house, pornography is what shaped my ideals of what a woman was supposed to be. And so as I poured over those images and I wondered what it was like to be that pretty or to be that popular or to be that desired, because inwardly all I wanted was attention. I wanted love, which is what we all want. So there was no outlet for me there was no way for me to act out what I was seeing in these magazines until I graduated from high school. I tolerated this at home until I graduated, went to the first college I could find that was just far enough away from home and passed it on. The first night I was in that college dorm, I smoked my first cigarette, I had my first beer, and I went in search of my very first boyfriend. And the first man that I found, I flushed my virginity right down the toilet because I didn't value it. I had only been taught you don't have sex with people and if you do, the first person you have sex with, Judy, you have to marry that person. I wasn't taught why it was important to save yourself for marriage. I wasn't taught about how blessed and wonderful purity is and, and reserving that for the confines and the covenant of marriage and how beautiful that is. All I knew is that I wanted attention and I wanted to be loved and that's what I sought after. Well, you know, it wasn't anything like it was it was made up to be. It was painful, it was embarrassing, and now I was stuck in this situation where I thought that I was going to have to marry this man, and I, I didn't want to. That's not what I wanted for my life. Inside of me, there was 
It was almost like an engine that was churning. Judy, there's more to life than just small town Iowa. There's more to life than just being um, confined to what you're living. Because we had moved from California to Iowa when I was 10 years old because my parents didn't like what was happening in California. So you can imagine, I wanted to get out of there. I knew there had to be more to life. So at 19 years old, I packed up everything I knew, broke off the relationship that I have, and I drove, to, drove back to Southern California because I wanted to live. I wanted to be free. I wanted to experience all that life had to offer. Well, guess what I found out? It's expensive in California, a lot more expensive than it is in Iowa. So I had to get a second job, and I answered an ad in the paper for a cocktail waitress position. I thought, I can do that. I've been a waitress before, I can do that. So I went to this bar and as God is my witness, I didn't know it was a topless bar. But I walked in and here's the lie. I justified to myself, you're not gonna be one of those dancers, Judy, you're only gonna be a cocktail waitress. It's not that bad. Because remember, I went to church every Sunday. So even though it was a social club and it was just a, a, a weekly obligation, I got those messages on the inside of me. So I'm walking into this topless bar and I'm thinking I'm making decisions. I'm not gonna be one of those dancers. I'm just gonna be a cocktail waitress so I can make enough money to pay my bills and live in Southern California. Well, I worked there for three weeks, wow. three wow. weeks. <laughs> and I watched those dancers, Pastor Don. I watched how hard they weren't working, but how much money they were making. And I saw how hard I was working and how much money I wasn't making. I looked at them and I looked at myself and I thought, I can do this. And I crossed the line. I crossed the line. I, I made a decision. I went down to the police department in San Diego to the vice squad. You have to get a license to be a dancer in San Diego. Got my license. And the first night I was on that stage, I made more money than I'd ever seen in my life. And that moment is when my, the spiral downward began in my life. It took me over completely. The reason I say that is because as a dancer, you have to have a stage name. So I chose the name Pepper. I remember watching Policewoman and Angie Dickinson. You probably remember that show. It's, it's an older show. But I loved Angie Dickinson and Policewoman. So I chose the name Pepper. And once Pepper was born, Pastor Don, it's almost like Judy took a back seat. Nobody called me Judy anymore. Everybody loved Pepper. Everybody wanted to be with Pepper. Pepper was the most popular dancer. She could introduce the other dancers to the clients and the athletes and the actors and all these people that would come in the bar. And those people wanted to hang out with me because I could introduce them to the other dancers. And it was just, it was a whole new life. And I thought, okay, I have plugged into the plan for my life. This is why I was born. I was finally getting that attention that I wanted. I was finally feeling like oh. I, I was confident and sure of myself. And Pepper, she was bold, she was brash. She was that girl that could drink wild turkey with beer chasers, shooting pool with the guys in the bar in between sets, dancing on the stage. But my life took a turn when I was introduced to crystal meth. All of the dancers did crystal meth. That's how they stayed skinny. I was introduced to it and the first time I tried it, I was hooked. And my life went from being a small town girl in Iowa to being a drug addict, an alcoholic, and a topless dancer named Pepper in San Diego.
and it just kept getting worse and worse. I quit my day job. All I did was dance and party. But soon San Diego got boring. That engine was still turning. There's got to be more to life than just San Diego. There's got to be more to life than just these athletes and these actors who are coming into this topless bar and nights of partying and things that I, I can't even remember, days of not sleeping and not eating. It was just drugs and alcohol and partying. That's all it was. But I got sick of San Diego, so I ended up in Vegas. I, I wanted to go to Vegas because I had heard Vegas never sleeps. Everybody goes to Vegas, and I thought there's got to be more happening there. So I packed up everything I knew, took a couple of my friends, and off to Vegas we went. Uh, Judy, let me just ask you. Sure. What, what was going on inside of you? You know, you're, you're getting ready to tell us how you, you moved from San Diego to Las Vegas. But tell me, uh, did you um, become in personality? Did you become Pepper? Or, or was you, um, was Judy, wh wh where was Judy in this whole period of time? And, and when you got ready to move, what was going on? D describe to, to me what was going on inside when you were getting ready to move and where Judy was and who Pepper was. Sure. So as soon as Pepper was born, it's almost like Judy took a back seat. Um, everything about Judy, that quiet, shy, insecure, abused um, person who was just so desperate for the right kind of love and attention, just kind of faded into the shadows. And Pepper emerged. She was confident. She was bold. Wow. Um, she was fearless. Um, and you take that and you multiply that with crystal meth on top of a personality like that, um, it was a dangerous concoction. It was it was a dangerous mix. Um, I had a filthy mouth, Pastor Don. I mean, just, um, I was I was that girl. I was that girl. If you crossed me, it wasn't gonna be good. And- well, What uh, was you, what were you like emotionally? I mean, were you, were you, did you think you were happy? Did you- Yes. Uh, yes. I convinced myself, this is what I was born to do. This is what I, look at the attention I'm getting. Everybody wants to be with Pepper, everybody. But interestingly enough, inside, inside, I knew that what I was doing was wrong. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't dance on Sundays in the bar because that was the day you were supposed to, I knew you were supposed to have one day of rest every week. So I thought I was still okay not dancing on Sundays, you know, in the bar, um, but it was a facade. Pastor Don, that's the only way that I could survive. I knew inside what I was doing was wrong, but I had justified it because I was drunk on the attention. I was high on the attention. Um, it was it was absolutely um, numbing everything. And you, you want to stay numb because you get to the point where you don't look at people, you look through them. It's the only way that you can survive because you know that that guy sitting in front of you is not really interested in you. He's married, he has two kids at home, but he's about ready to blow his entire paycheck in that bar because the enemy has convinced him that he's a worthless husband, a terrible father, and, he's, and, he, and his wife is not meeting his needs. I didn't care about any of that. All I cared about was getting through him to his wallet and emptying it of everything that it had in it. I didn't care about his wife. I didn't care about his kids. I didn't care about his sad sob story. They all had the same one. So in order to live, you convince yourself, this is, this is what I was born to do. You become the predator instead of the prey. Wow. Yeah.
It so to say, was I a nice person? Was I happy? If you were to look at me, I would say, yeah, it was a good thing to be Pepper's friend. It was a bad thing to cross me because I had everybody in my hip pocket. I was extremely controlling, very manipulative, and I had a horrible temper. And like I said, when you take and you amplify those things already with crystal methamphetamine, uh, such a powerful addictive drug, um, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. My mouth got me in trouble so much, actually got me fired from my, my dancing job in San Diego, which is why I went to Vegas in the first place. But it, it's, it was a way to get by. I convinced, my, I convinced myself I was happy. I had all the money I wanted. I had any man that I wanted. I could go anywhere that I wanted. Nobody was going to tell me no. Nobody was going to interrupt me. Like you, you become this person who thinks they're invincible. Nothing can stop you. Nothing. And so I, I get to Vegas. And of course, one of the first things I got to do is I got to find a connection for my dope. I got to, I got to find a dealer. I got to find somebody who can supply this, which is very simple in Vegas. Found a place to dance, started making money. Quite often when you're in that line of work, you'll get hired to do private parties. Um, and a group of us was hired one night to do a private party and they put us all in a limousine and we started driving outside of Vegas. And we were driving and we were driving and we were driving. We were driving too long, too long. And I started to get worried. And I thought, oh boy, this is not looking good. Finally, after about an hour, the limousine stopped and we all got out and uh, I was angry because I couldn't find, there was no house, there was nothing. All I saw was the night sky and the outline of mountains. And I thought, okay, this is it. Pepper, this is how you go out. They're gonna rape you, they're gonna kill you, and nobody is ever gonna find your body. Your family's never gonna know how you died. All they're gonna know is that you went missing and something must have happened to you. Wow. It was, it, that, that was it, I was making plans. And uh, even though I was angry and I was yelling at people, you know, where's the house? Where's the party? What's going on? Because Pepper was always in charge, always in control. I turned around and there was this, this little modular house. Seemed like it was out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this desert. Um, and I thought, oh, whew. inside, it was a, a sigh of relief uh, because I thought, okay, who is gonna be at this party that we had to drive this far out of Vegas? Who is going to be in this house that nobody can know that they're here? I thought, I don't know who it is, but we're going to make a lot of money tonight. So I walk in the door and out walks this man who looks like Colonel Sanders. And I thought, what is going on? Now, mind you, Pastor Don, I told you, everything out of my mouth was always blankety blank this and expletives and you know i mean it was awful so i i looked at him and i said where the blankety blank are we what's going on somebody tell me and he could tell that i was angry he said don't you know where you are honey i said no i wouldn't be asking you if i did he said this is a brothel it's a it's a and i, I said what the blankety blank is a brothel he said it's a whorehouse it's a house of prostitution i said oh heck no no, 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 no. Pepper is not into hookers because I was a dancer. A hooker was four or five stages down from a dancer. I did not do hookers. Hookers to me were nasty. Prostitutes were disgusting. They had no morals. All the guys in the club would, after the club would close down because they couldn't get with the dancers, would go outside across the street to the prostitutes. So I just looked at them. I looked down my nose at them. I said, no, no, I'm not, no, this is not what I'm here for. I was hired to do a private party and, and 
nobody was doing anything. As mad as I got, Pastor Don, nobody was doing anything. Nothing was happening. I wanted to get back in the limo and go back to Vegas. So he looks at me and he goes, um, I'll make you a deal. He said, you stay here with me for one week. And if you don't make more money than you've ever seen in your life, I'll take you back to Vegas myself. And that put me back in control. I told him, I said, okay, you got yourself a deal. He said, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. And if you don't want to stay after one week, I'll take you back to Vegas. And Pastor Don, he was right. He was right. There were four of us in that house, and we had to take turns every time the Johns would ring the bell. There was a big iron gate outside. I was the youngest one in the house, and so all the Johns always chose me. And I made more money in that one week than I'd ever seen in my life. And this became who I was. I had a dealer who would drive out to the brothel and bring me, keep me in, in, um, in my meth supply. And I could go into Vegas anytime I wanted. I had all the money I wanted. I put myself up in the trap. I would go on shopping sprees. I mean, it was, I was living. I was absolutely living. Everything was great. Until one day I discovered I wasn't feeling so good. Something wasn't right. I, I wasn't feeling good. And it was more than just a hangover. It was more than just, I smoked too much dope last night. Something was wrong. And I went to the little store there in uh, Pahrump, Nevada, and I got a pregnancy test. And it came out positive. I was pregnant. Now what do I do? Because being a pregnant prostitute is not good for business. And I had no idea who the father was. I had no business being a mother. I'm a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic. I'm, I'm a prostitute. What I have no business being a mother. And so the owner's wife said to me, oh honey, don't worry about it. Just be ready in the morning. I'll take you into town. We'll take care of this little problem. And I thought, what do you mean we'll take care of this little problem? So I was ready the next morning. She drove me into town. The only thing that I remember, Pastor Don, is we drove up to a building that to me looked like solid um, brick. It was all cement block. There were no windows. Uh, and we walked in and it was a medical office. I remember going to the front window, giving my name. They took me in a room and I remember them strapping me to a table. And then I went to sleep. And when I woke up, I wasn't pregnant anymore. And the doctor telling me, you're to be flat on your back for two weeks, no working. I didn't care. I was up working that night, John after John after John. I just didn't care because I was numb. There was nothing in me that cared. I felt bad. I knew what I had just done was wrong, but I felt like I had no choice. And interestingly enough, the night before she took me in for that abortion, I found myself talking to God. God, I don't even know who the father of this baby is. I have no business being a mother. I have no I have no idea how to care for a child. I can't even take care of myself. So isn't that something in the midst of, I was never not high, Pastor Don, I was never not high. I was always high. But in the midst of being drunk and high, getting ready to go have an abortion, I find myself talking to God. So two weeks later, there was a knock at the door. I buzzed in the John and there was something different about this one. There was something in me, I couldn't take advantage of him. He had the same sob story that they all did. His marriage was over and 
his wife had left him and he happened to be in Vegas on a real estate convention and just so found out about the brothels. But there was something in me that I couldn't take advantage of this guy. He didn't need a hooker, he needed a friend. I could tell he wasn't lying. I can tell I could tell he posed no threat to me that he needed someone to talk to. Well, he couldn't find a hotel room, so I sent him up the road afterwards and uh, to find a, a room at the little place that was up the road from the brothel. Well, this guy starts calling the brothel. He wants me to come into Vegas and have dinner with him. And the owner said, no, you can't go. He kept calling out to the brothel, kept calling, just wanted to talk to Pepper. There was something about him. There was just something about him. It was, he was kind. He, it seemed like he cared about me. It seemed like it, was, it wasn't just sex that he wanted. It was a connection. It was, he, he cared about the person instead. Of, he cared about everything that I was instead of just what I could do for him. So he keeps calling out to the brothel after he goes home from his real estate convention. And I got to the place where I just couldn't do it anymore. I needed a break. I had to get out of there. So I said to the owner, look, I give you my word. Let me go. Let me go for a couple days. Let me, let me get out of here. I, got, I, got, I need a break. He goes, well, just, I'll take you into town. Stay at the Trap. Stay at Caesar. Stay, stay. And I said, no, no, no. I got to get out of Vegas. I got to get away. I give you my word. Let me go for a few days, and I promise you I'll come back. So the next time this guy calls out to the brothel just to talk to me, I told him, I said, hey, if you send me a, a plane ticket, I'll come visit you. The next day, Pastor Don, there's a knock on the brothel door, a FedEx package with a plane ticket in it. <laughs> so I got on a plane and I went to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, but it's not like Vegas. <laughs> Vegas never sleeps, and Lancaster is full of wonderful Mennonite and Amish people who I had never seen in my entire life. So you can imagine, you know, I mean, I, I never wear anything less than a six-inch stiletto. I weighed 110 pounds soaking wet, and I'm just prancing through that airport. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting phenomenon to walk into Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. But you know what? When I laid my head down that night, on a pillow, knowing that I wasn't gonna have to service any Johns, I could breathe. There, there, was, there was just something about it, a veil, like a veil was taken off and I could see my life for what it really was. And I thought, I, I don't wanna be Pepper anymore. If I stay doing what I'm doing, I'm gonna die. I'm just gonna die. I'm either gonna overdose or somebody's gonna come into this brothel and just kill me. And so, I, gave, I had given my word and I went back to Vegas. I was there for about 10 days, got on a plane and went back to Vegas and I couldn't do it anymore. I made up my mind. I stood toe to toe with the owner and I said, I'm done. I can't do it. I'm out. You can kill me if you want to. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. He looked at me and he said, I hope you know what you're doing. I said, I do. I gave everything that I had away to the rest of those girls in that house. Only what I could fit in my suitcase. Bought my own plane ticket this time. I got on a plane. My drug dealer drove me to the airport. I handed her my last bag of dope and I said, you take this. I'm not gonna need it anymore. I'm done. I got on that plane, Pastor Don, and I was making decisions. I wanna go back to church. I remember going to church when I was a little girl. I remember those people, how nice they were. 
I want to go back to church. I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want to be pepper anymore. I was making decisions. Now, so I got now Judy, what, what was bringing you to that decision to say, I don't want to be pepper anymore and to leave that Brussels? Uh, what was going on where you felt like it was conviction that God was dealing with you? Um, because, you know, you just don't close up shop like that uh, unless there is uh, something inside of you that said, I can't take this anymore. That's what it was. But I, when I got back from Pennsylvania, it's almost as if I saw myself with new eyes. Instead of looking in the mirror and seeing a flawless face and a girl who was dressed to the nines, ready to service anybody that walked through the door, I saw myself for who I really was and I didn't like it. Through the layers of makeup, through all of the dope, through all of the alcohol, there was a hurting little girl in there. And I knew that if I stayed and kept this lifestyle up, I was gonna die. I would die from an overdose because all I ever did was drugs. I would I would die from alcoholism. I knew, I knew that something had to change and I just got tired of it. Just like when I was in Iowa, I got tired of being in Iowa and had to go to San Diego. When I was in San Diego, I got tired of being there and ended up in Vegas. I got tired of Vegas and I, I wanted to live again. What was it like to live without drugs? What was it like to live without alcohol? What was it like to be a real person? I couldn't stand the facade anymore. I didn't want to be fake anymore. I was tired of being plastic. I wanted to be a real person and I wanted someone to love me for me, not because of what I could do for them. So that now on this side of it, I know that it was the Holy Spirit who was wooing me back to himself. I know now that God never left me. He, he was there with me in the brothel. He was there with me in the abortion clinic. He was there with me when I was being abused as a child. He has always been with me. He always was with me and he always will be with me. And I began to realize there's something else that I was born to do. And it's not this. I've got to leave this in order to discover what's next for me. Hmm. That's what was driving me. So what 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 took place at that point? I mean, um, did did you feel like um, I'm I'm changing my life, but I'm I'm leaving the drugs, I'm leaving all the sex, I'm leaving all this behind now. But yeah. what were you reaching to, and why? Well, I didn't know. All I knew is that it had something to do with God. Mm. All I knew about God was what I learned as a little girl in church. I remember the stories of Jesus being crucified. I remember crying when they played the movie, being five, six years old. And I knew that in order for me to get to where I needed to go, it had to include God. And it had to include church. So as much as I knew how, I gave my life back to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I said to God the last night I was in that brothel, if I have not screwed up my life to the point where you can't do something with it, I'll give it back to you. Get me out of here. And he answered me right there. Little by little, we started going to church every Sunday. I started studying the Bible for myself. That's when I started to find out a few things. See, I always, I always thought it was only the pastors who were supposed to study the Bible. 
We, as an individual, you weren't supposed to study the Bible. You left that to the preachers and you left that to the priests or the pastors. Once I began to dig into the word of God myself, I began to find out some things. And as I grew in my faith, I began to understand why I had made some of the decisions that I did and how I had sold myself short and how God had created me to be something so much more than what I was settling for. And day after day, as I as I immersed myself in the word of God, my faith began to grow. And little by little, in his kindness and in his mercy, he would reveal to me, okay, now it's time for this to change. You know how it is that you do this? It's time for this to change. And he would begin to deal with me about things. And like a peeling back of an onion, he got to who I really was. The most beautiful thing that the Lord has ever spoken to me, Pastor Don, was early, early, early one morning. It was still dark outside. Everybody in the house was asleep. And I was praying. I was up praying. And uh, I was just thanking God. You know, I was just saying, thank you, Lord, that you delivered me from drugs. Thank you that you delivered me from alcohol and prostitution. Thank you that you changed me from being so mean and so angry and so bitter. You completely changed me, God. I have no idea how you did it, but I'm so grateful that I'm not the person that I was. Oh, I'm so grateful. There's no one who could have did that except for you, Lord. And ever so sweetly, he said to me, yeah, I change pepper into salt. Isn't wow. that amazing? Yeah, that is amazing. Now, you know, this transformation that you're talking about that you went through and you started reading the Bible, um, where, where, were you able to put the guilt and the condemnation of your past behind? I mean, I, I, from all of the stuff you're telling me and our audience, and now you're this brand new person, there may be somebody to say, I just don't believe that you can make that kind of switch or that kind of change. Um, you know, I know because I've had the change in my heart, Jesus changed me. Our stories are not the same, of course, but it doesn't matter whether you had your story or you come up in church all your life. Once you're changed from if you come up in church and you didn't, you need to still be saved. It doesn't matter. You can go That's to right. church and not be saved. That's so right. what were you feeling like when you were going through this process of reading the Bible and, and knowing now Judy's come back and Pepper's gone? So yeah. uh, what were you doing? Were, were there guilt or what? Yes, a tremendous amount of guilt. As a matter of fact, the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation was one of the most difficult barriers to overcome because, you know, even in the worst of who I was, I prided myself on never having broken all of the Ten Commandments. Imagine that. I had never murdered anybody. I'd broken every single one of them except I had never murdered anybody. But when I had that abortion, I lost those bragging rights. And the guilt and the shame that I felt from taking an innocent life was, it was unbearable. I know it was such a heavy burden, Pastor Don, because there was nothing I could do to change it. It was permanent. I had taken someone's life. I couldn't change that around. 
Not like being a drug addict, now I'm not a drug addict anymore. Being an alcoholic, now I'm not an alcoholic. Those situations and circumstances could be changed. But this one, the abortion, the taking of an innocent life, I couldn't undo that one. And the enemy is in one ear saying, God will never forgive you. You murdered an innocent baby. As a matter of fact, when I was pregnant with our first child, I would hear the enemy in my ear saying, there's going to be something horribly wrong with your with this child. If this child even makes it just to punish you for what you did, you don't deserve to have another baby. And if by chance you do have another baby, there's going to be something wrong with your baby just to wow. punish you. This is what I lived with, Pastor Don. I thought I was losing my mind. Rick would come home after working all day and I would just be a mess on the couch, terrified of what's, what's going to happen. Am I going to have this baby? It is, is there going to be something wrong with my baby? I, I, there was nothing I could do, but I kept in the word. I kept in the word until I ended up in the book of Romans and I got to the eighth chapter and I read that first verse that said, there is therefore now no mm. condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I thought, no condemnation? How is that even possible? How can I make up for the fact that I took a life? How can I, how could God ever forgive me? I felt like it was humble and it was holy to feel guilty. I thought it was penance. I thought it was the, the, the price that I was going to have to pay forever, that there was nothing I could do to undo this. And again, the Lord in his mercy began to help me to understand that the blood of Jesus is complete in its forgiveness. It's complete in its power. And that God had forgiven me for that abortion. And if God had forgiven me for that abortion, who was I not to forgive myself? Or anybody else for that matter that could not forgive me. Because I was hearing in the church circles the people that were so critical of women who would have abortions. And I didn't dare say anything. Oh my gosh, what would people think of me if they knew the truth about who I used to be, right? So yes, to answer your question, I suffered with horrendous guilt and condemnation until I got a hold of that scripture verse. Mm. And I started speaking it out of my mouth. And I said, I'm forgiven for this abortion. God has forgiven me. I forgive myself. Devil, shut up. I'm not going to listen to you in the name of Jesus. You don't have the right to talk to me. If God has forgiven me, you can't hold this against me. And it took a while, but eventually it lifted. And I was free from it. When I think about that baby now, I know that baby is in my future. Do I still regret that choice? Of course. I regret many choices that I've made in my life. Wouldn't we all do it differently if we had it to do it over again, right? But I move forward because God doesn't hold it against me. I'm not holding it against me. Let me you. say, you, you used the word there that um, I think it's very important. You, you made a statement that you regret aborting that child and you made other decisions that you regret, mm -hmm. but you were able to move forward. And so one of the things that I, I want to kind of come back to, and you said this just lifted from you, um, you know, regret is looking back and many times people live their life looking back. And how was you able to you know, it's normal, as you said, to have the regrets. I think we all have regrets, but many people live in those regrets. Right. So you kept speaking and declaring of who you were in Christ. And how, how did you know to do that? Just reading Romans or was you listening to somebody on television or going to church and getting some help? What was going on? A little bit of all of it. When, 
I have always been the type of person that when I got a hold of something that I wanted or I liked, I, I, I go after it with everything everything. So when I got a hold of Jesus, I went after it with everything. Anybody that I could get a hold of that could teach me, I wanted to know everything there was uh, about being a Christian, being a, a a real born-again believer and a follower of Christ. I began to devour books and tapes and messages, and this is how I came across people like Joyce Meyer, people like Kenneth Copeland, people like Kenneth Hagen, people like uh, yourself, watching watching and listening people walk this walk and listening to other people's testimonies. My goodness, when I heard Joyce Meyer's testimony of everything that she had been through and how she was on the other side of it, I finally was able to see somebody else that I could identify with that had been through such pain, different from my pain, but nonetheless pain and had overcome it and it no longer had a hold on who they were now. That they were using that pain as a platform instead of using it as permission to stay in a pit. And so I began to grow and my confidence grew, my faith grew, and I began to shake off, I'll call them the grave clothes. Um, I shook off pepper. I didn't dress like a prostitute anymore. I didn't speak like a prostitute anymore. I didn't want the things that a prostitute wants. I began to shake off that identity and began to realize that God had always created me to be one of his daughters and I needed to learn. I needed to learn what is it like to be a daughter of God? What is it like to be a woman? of God. I have no idea how to be a godly wife. I have no idea how to be a godly woman. This was not modeled for me as a child. And so the Lord in his mercy put people like Joyce Meyer in front of me, people like Sharon Clowers in front of me, so I could watch and observe, oh, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And I would learn just by watching um, on TV. I would I would just devour messages over and over again, watching these godly women, watching people like Gloria Copeland, and listening to these messages, thinking, I how could I have gotten it so wrong? And it just created a hunger on the inside of me that still to this day is not fed. It is I just it continues to grow and grow and grow. But I realized that I had been settling for something much less than what God had created me to be. And once I got a hold of that, there was nothing that was going to stop me. Let me just I, say, let me let me ask you this. You know, uh, I asked you several questions there, but I want to go back to the regret. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I can I know you, Judy, and I know your husband, Rick, and uh, you know we're just so pleased with what God has done in your life. But you know, what do you do when moments come of your past? Or do they come? Um, the regret. Uh, you, I, I know you don't live in it, but do, do, is there times that you have to go back and take the word of God and say, "I'm not that person. I am a new creation. I'm Judy Lamborn. I'm healed. I'm whole." Does that happen to you? Absolutely. So, depending on what it is, Pastor Don, sometimes it happens on the daily. Um, forgiveness is not just a one once and done thing. There's sometimes daily, weekly, monthly, depending on what happens, I have to forgive the people who hurt me all over again, including myself. There's times as a drug addict, um, I will smell crystal meth 
and there's no reason for it to be in the air. I will hear a song that used to be played in the bar and immediately it takes me right back there and I have to remind myself all over again. Wow. I have to open up my mouth and say, no, 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 no. If any man be in Christ, he old things have passed away, all things have become new. He's a new creation. Yes, I absolutely have to remind myself because the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, Pastor Don. He's not gonna stop. Just because I decided to leave Vegas and decided to leave that lifestyle, he's still going to come after me. And the enemy knows my weaknesses. He always tries to come back and visit and exploit those things that used to work until I became equipped and put the armor of God on, including the word of God, and learned how to wield that sword of the spirit. And I silenced him by cutting his head off, speaking the word of God. Yes, there's sometimes he tries to come at me in my night seasons and hit me with dreams. I play the word of God behind me all night long. We play the word of God. I do everything I possibly can to close any door. Don't give him any handles. But yeah, being a Christian, you have to be on the offense. The enemy's not going to take a day off. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll use anything or anybody that he can. Yes, there are times when he tries to come and visit. Man, don't you know how much further you'd be along in your walk with God, Judy? Had you not wasted all those years? My goodness, God's so disappointed in you. Nope, I got to get it back out. God loves me. He has a good plan for my life, and he's, got, he's given me everything that I need to fulfill that plan. I know the thoughts and the plans that God has for me. You've got to know the word of God. I love it. I, I embrace it. It is a life to me. It's not just a book to me. Well, one of the, things I, really, one of the things I really appreciate, you're open, you're honest, and you're saying uh, to our audience, and maybe someone has been through, uh, you know, a horrible past, maybe abused, all kinds of things happen, and they don't know what to do when the voices come back, when the enemy comes back and begin to accuse you uh, of being that person or trying to get you tormented in your mind. Uh, I think this is something that somebody right now, I just sense in my, my, my spirit that somebody that has been tormented by their past, that you are sharing, sure, Satan still comes back, but I'm not that person anymore. I'm changed. Old things pass away and all things new and become new and Christ lives in me. So, uh, Judy, did you, when did you start, um, uh, I, I know you, you said you dealt with guilt, you dealt with shame, and you did, but when were you able to really love Judy Lamborn again? Or maybe for the first time you were able to love Judy Lamborn. That's a great question. Nobody's ever answered. I know has ever asked me that. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, Pastor Don, when you look in the mirror, um, because you have to make a decision to see yourself the way God sees you. And that's not always easy because we see with human eyes. Um, it is a conscious effort. When I left Vegas, I didn't want to see myself the way I was, but I wasn't equipped. I didn't have the tools. And I can say to you and I can say to everybody listening, I still look in the mirror and the temptation to be critical, the temptation to be judgmental, the temptation to be, man, you should be so much further along than what you are. God is disappointed in you because that, that people pleasing or that God being disappointed is the thing that I don't want anybody. It, nobody wants that. So it's a, it, it's a daily thing, Pastor Don, to say, when did I love Judy Lamborn? When I got the revelation that God didn't create me to be a prostitute, 
he didn't he wasn't the reason that I was abused. He wasn't the reason that I became a drug addict. It wasn't a God failure. I wasn't to blame for these things. Yes, I made choices, but when did I begin to love Judy Lamborn? When I began to see Judy's future and the plan that God had for her. Has he unveiled everything to me? No, he gives me bits by bits, but I know that he's created me for something amazing. He's put dreams on the inside of me. All those things have been uncovered and unveiled. And the things that are in my past, I use them now. They are still there. God has healed me to the point where I can speak about them from a position of power instead of from a position of being a victim. I can speak about being a prostitute or being a child abuse victim. I can speak about being a drug addict or even having an abortion and not cast myself back into a pit of shame and guilt. God has healed me to the place where I'm able to speak about those things. Like Revelation says, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And you know something you said just a moment ago that really, really just touched me. And I hope it did others as much as it did me because you said I didn't blame God for this happening to me or I wasn't mad at God and I think that's a big issue right there is why some people you know that they can never love themselves because they they didn't realize that it wasn't God's fault that you did that he gave us all uh, uh, the ability, going back to the Garden of Eden, God gave us the ability to make the choices. And so you made the choice to leave God. And so God let you go, but he didn't do it to you. You and the devil um, were partners. And so and when you and the devil were partners, that's, that's why it was going wrong. But now uh, God had nothing to do with it. And as I said when we first came home, no matter what you did in San Diego or Vegas or anywhere else, God was loving you, Judy. He was loving you. And, and you know, the question was, when did you love yourself? And you, you said no one has ever begun to love yourself. Well, God is love, and once God loves comes inside of us, as you well know, you, you said you had to read, listen to tapes and all of these things. And, and you have to change your thinking and all of the things that you, you went through of changing your thinking. And as you went through that process of, of learning, hey, I'm, I'm Judy Lamborn. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm clean, I'm pure, I'm whole, I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that there has to be some way that when people that are, that are in darkness, and, and even people that didn't have the same lifestyle necessarily that you did, they're still holding on to guilt, they're still holding on to shame, and they don't love themselves. I, I tell people often, Judy, I like Don Clowers, and I love Don Clowers, and Don Clowers and Don Clowers talk to each other. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sometimes I have to get myself up by the back of the neck and say, listen, Missy, you better square your attitude. You have a lot to be grateful for. 
Don't complain, don't murmur, don't grumble. It, it, you have to talk to yourself. There's times when I still look in the mirror and I have to say, you are a daughter of the Most High God. Oh, you are wow. anointed. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. When the enemy comes, and he comes a lot to try to tell me what I'm not or what I used to be, I remind him who I am, what God says I am, and I kept saying it out of my mouth until I believed it. Well, one of the things that you're saying is, and I think you might have used that word, I'm not for sure or remember, but you have to be intentional yes. to have a successful forward, uh, to keep your life going forward rather than getting stuck. You know, sometimes people make a change from, from the past, but yet they get stuck and they don't go back, but they don't go forward. But you can't stay stuck if you love yourself and you love God with all of your heart. But if you don't love yourself, Judy, you can't do this. the Bible to love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the people that don't know how to love themselves, um, what should they do to uh, know how to love themselves? One thing that I did was I asked the Lord to show me myself the way he sees me. God, wow, I, that I, is so powerful. That I, is so powerful. I need, to, I need to see myself the way you see me because when I look in the mirror, all I see are my mistakes. When I see, when I look in the mirror, all I see is the things that I regret that I can't change. God, please show me how you see me. Please, please help me reveal that to me. And and He will. He will. He has for me. God is not a respecter of persons. What He did for me, He's ready to do for you right now. It doesn't matter. God is not moved by by anything other than our faith and the hunger that we have for more of Him. And we got when God began to show me the plans that He has for me, and that there was no more residue. It was so beautiful, Pastor Don. At one point, the Lord gave me an image, and I saw His beautiful hand wrapped around me, pulling me out of muck. It was mm. muddy. It was dirty. I was filthy. And his other hand just lovingly began to just to just clean me off, just clean me off. And he pulled me to himself, even in all of my filth. It didn't intimidate him. He wasn't grossed out by all of my sin. He embraced me. And when the revelation comes that the blood of Jesus is so powerful, there's no sin that it cannot cleanse. Mm. You know how Isaiah says, come unto me, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them whiter than snow. I thought, how is that even possible for someone like me? How is it possible? But there is no sin that God cannot forgive. I asked him, Lord, please help me. Because when I look in the mirror, all I see is my mistakes. All I see is so, someone So, Judy, now you live without shame of your past. And here yeah. you are uh, on, on talking to thousands of people right now about your past. And there's no guilt. There's no shame. No. No, just joy and gratitude. Oh, no. that's so wonderful. Just joy so, and gratitude. So who is God to you now? Who is God to you now? He's the love of my life. He is my air. He is my heartbeat. He is, it's funny, but I always tell people, Rick Lamborn will never be number one in my life. He knows he's always going to be number two. The Lord, not only is he my rescuer, He's my redeemer, he's my healer, he's my best friend, he is my teacher, he is my comforter, he is the one I run to. He is the one who gives me answers. I go to him with my frustrations, I go to him with my hopes and my dreams, he's my everything. I cannot live without him. He is everything to me. Well, you know you have an awesome husband, Rick. Uh, I just, you know, Rick is so kind and 
uh, always treats my wife and me with so much care and things when we come to St. Louis. And, um, he loves you so much. Um, tell me about Rick, how he dealt with um, who you were and who you are. Well, it wasn't easy because he had he wasn't a church going person either. So he was not born again until actually we got married. So he had nothing to fall back on um, other than just being a innately he was patient. He was kind. He was generous. He, he was that supportive person anyway. Um, I don't think he knew what he was getting when Pepper came into his life. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think either one of us knew um, we grew together. We grew together. We started going to church together. We learned about the Lord together. Um, and in God has anointed that man to be married to me. That's He has graced Rick Lamborn to be married to me because it's not easy to bring someone into your life that comes with such baggage like I did. I mean, he had his own baggage. We both did going into this marriage. And when we speak to youth, I always tell them, I'm not the poster child of how to meet your Christian Christian mate. I, I don't advocate for how Rick and I met to be the reason or the way that you go about finding your spouse. But God grew us up together. We had to learn. I learned about patience. I learned about forgiveness. He learned understanding because having someone in his life that had been abused the way I did and giving my life over to what I did, I had a wrong view of sex. I had a wrong view of men. Pastor Don, I hated men because all they ever wanted to do was take advantage of me. So I had to learn that Rick was no longer a John. He was now a husband and I was no longer a prostitute. I was now his wife. And so there were so many things that had to be changed in that. And God in his mercy just lovingly nurtured us, put godly couples in front of us like yourselves, like Dave and Joyce Meyer, like Rick and Donna Shelton, like Jack and Sherry Harris. He put these couples in front of us and we literally watched and observed how how to be a godly couple. And we're still doing that to this day. We're, we're, we just celebrated 30 years of marriage this year. And, and we're still learning, you know, how to be married, how to treat one another. What does godly marriage look now that we're empty nesters and our kids are grown and we're grandparents? It's, um, it's a daily thing. It's an intentional thing. But yeah, it wasn't always easy. It, it wasn't always easy. Um, we well, have I appreciate you sharing the fact that um, marriage, even for you, and anybody else, it's intentional to make it work because there's issues and things that comes up whether you have the past that you had or not. But let me move on just a little bit further. Um, Judy, who is probably some of the people that influenced you uh, in your Christian walk with God? When I first, I would say when I first began to be real serious and understanding that my walk with God had a lot more to do with me than it did with anybody else, that I was gonna be the, the one who determined how close I wanted to be with God. That wasn't God, I'm the one who chose and how close I wanted to be with him. I began to avail myself to anybody that I could find. Um, anybody that was i found christian television i started watching tbn i started watching cbn and i i found this woman i found joyce meyer and she was such an anomaly to me i i just was very i was puzzled i was intrigued because i'd never really seen a woman preacher before but she was so transparent she was so honest she was so funny um and just just so not entertaining but 
she taught me. I felt like she was sitting in my living room just having a conversation with me over a cup of coffee. And I began to watch her program every single day. And then Rick and I decided to become partners with Joyce Meyer Ministries because we believed in what they were doing and we were growing. I got a hold of things like Battlefield of the Mind and started to understand that there is an enemy and you can fight him and he works in your mind. And I just learned so much. I would say that of the women of God that that have poured into my life, Joyce Meyer has had the greatest influence in my life. I I can say 100% of surety that I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't have done the things that I've done or be doing the things that I'm doing now without that woman's influence in my life. And the Lord blessed us uh, in 1998 to move from Pennsylvania to St. Louis to work for Dave and Joyce, which was an absolute dream come true and a total miracle. Uh, we left everything. We had no family in St. Louis. We knew no, nobody there, but we knew that God was calling us there. And this was in, in June of 98. I started answering the phones. Rick was down in the warehouse duplicating cassette tapes. That's when we still had cassette tapes. <laughs> And we just served and we, we were part of this ministry and we were still learning and I was still studying. There were people like Paula White, I would watch her preach. I, I would get a hold of Kenneth Copeland and I would watch Gloria Copeland. And I, I, I just began to avail myself to anybody, anybody that was preaching the word and I would go into the word and I would weigh it for myself. And about six months after I had been at Joyce's, um, they pulled me in for a meeting and asked me if I would be willing to work in the executive office as an assistant. And I said, absolutely. This was the beginning of another level of transformation because I got to watch the inner workings, the day in and day out of Dave and Joyce Meyer in front of the pulpit instead of behind the pulpit. I learned about integrity. I learned about excellence in ministry. I learned about marriage. I learned about apologizing. I learned about humility. I learned about doing things um, uh, with faith and how just learning about forgiveness. And there was so much I learned in the 18 months that I worked in the executive office. Um, the Lord in his mercy put me in such close proximity to work with two generals in the faith. And that's where we met you and Ms. Sharon um, at Joyce's Women's Conference. And as guests would come in and we would watch these amazing people uh, that were friends of Dave and Joyce's and learning, learning, how do you do ministry? learning how do you stay in ministry ministry is not easy a lot of times you'd hear dave and joyce say you spell ministry w-o-r-k you know we would learn how what does it take to have longevity in ministry watching you and miss sharon watching dave and joyce watching kenneth and gloria going through challenges not always on mountaintops going through valleys going through all kinds of things that came at them and then after a year and a half in the in the executive office, they promoted me to conference department manager. So those conferences that you see on television, we had the, the privilege and the opportunity to help schedule those. All this time, the Lord is still teaching me how do you how to be a leader, what to do, what not to do, how how to work with people. He's still molding me and shaping me. And then in 2005, um, before you go there, before yeah. you go there. You know, I remember um, you, you became a manager yeah. at Joyce Meyer Ministries. Mm -hmm. I don't know what department you were, you man, I don't remember what department, but I remember a meeting we were having in the, uh, in her executive offices and um, this is after she built the, the building. 
and uh, all the managers, to my recollections, were brought into that room where we were. I don't know if we were in a board meeting or what, but uh, how did you become, how did, how, did, how did it happen that you become a manager in what department? So I was just minding my own business in the executive office one day, and um, Dave and Joyce were the only ones in there, and Joyce called me in her office, and I went in, and I was going to shut the door, and I turned around, and Dave Meyer was behind me, and he was going to close the door, and I thought, oh boy, now I've done it. So I'm, I, I don't know what I did, but if it's going to be Dave and Joyce and me in this office, something's about ready to go down, and uh, they let me know that there was an opening for the conference department manager, and would I be interested in, in serving in that role? at the ministry and of course I was overwhelmed I mean not only with just having them think that I could do it uh, but just the opportunity to have that kind of an impact and I was terrified of the responsibility Pastor Don you've been to those conferences you know everything that it entails uh, from from a to Z, it's a lot. And uh, I had never been able to manage myself, any, much less anything else. And I, it, it took me to another level in, in my walk with God because I was desperate for him to help me on a, in a whole new way. I said, God, I want to do this, but if, if you don't help me, it's going to be an epic failure. And I was on my face in my apartment there in St. Louis saying, God, please help me, please help me. And he did. During the time that I was uh, in the conference department, her meetings went from being in Memorial Coliseums to the arenas uh, that you see now. And it was a wonderful time. It was just a wonderful time in my life, just watching the Lord teaching me how you be faithful in the little things and God will then promote you and help you to be ruler over much. It was just a wonderful time and I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. Well, what happened? in your life, um, because I know you no longer work with Joyce Meyer Ministries, your husband is still there, Rick is still there, but what happened, and, and I want to move on down to where you are now, but obviously you, you, you uh, left the, the ministry to go on your own, or uh, tell me the transition real quickly. Sure, sure. Well, if, if it were up to me, I never would have left. I adored everything that I did at Joyce Meyer Ministries. I loved it. I loved being in the executive office. I didn't even want to leave there to be in the conference department. <laughs> I loved what I did, but it was the Lord. The Lord was dealing with me. Um, in 2005, he spoke to me and said, seven more months and your season at Joyce Meyer is over. And it, it rocked my world, Pastor Don, because I never saw myself outside of Joyce Meyer Ministries. I loved Dave and Joyce. I loved their family. I loved what the ministry did. Um, I loved the people that I worked with, uh, but I knew that it was God. I had begun to write my book, um, my autobiography in 2000. And I thought that this is why the Lord was requiring me and asking me to leave the ministry because the book was gonna be finished. And in order for me to accomplish whatever the Lord had next for me, I couldn't do both at the same time. So I resigned my position in 2006. I finished my autobiography, um, but nothing happened the way I thought that it would. I went into a three year wilderness where I was just with God, just seeking God, um, a lot of prayer, a lot of study in the word, a lot of dying to self. Uh, one day Rick came home for lunch and he brought a job description home with him. And it was for an executive assistant position at the St. Louis Dream Center, which of course you know is the inner city ministry in St. Louis of Joyce Meyer Ministries. And it was Rick's, it was our home church. We had been going there and 
uh, since they started it in 2000. And I was mad. Honestly, Pastor Don, I was mad. I was like, I don't want just any job, Rick. I want to be where God wants me to be. You know, and but he said, I don't know, honey, just just pray about it. So he left to go back to work. And I, I barely hit my knees, Pastor Don, and said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And he spoke to me. He said, will you go if I ask you to? Well, after everything that the Lord has done for me, what am I going to do? Say no. So I said, of course I will. So I started working in 2008 in October as the executive assistant to the senior pastor at, at the St. Louis Dream Center. Ultimately ended up as the family life pastor uh, working there. And in November of 2016, I resigned my position again um, there because the Lord was nudging me saying, you need to you need to set this aside because your daily life is about to change. I had been traveling all around the world with a dear friend of mine, uh, finding out what was happening in the area of human trafficking. We had traveled to India, Moldova, we had gone to Cambodia, Mexico, to find out what was happening, who was involved in the fight against it, and most importantly, what could we do? And it came to the point in November 2016 that she wanted to begin an organization that was going to help victims of human trafficking reintegrate into society through vocational training and life skills. And she wanted me to help her do it. And I knew that it was the Lord. But again, it was such a painful decision, Pastor Don, because I love the Dream Center. I love the people of the Dream Center. I love the people I worked with. I love the church and everything that we did. But I knew that it was the Lord nudging me. This season is over. It's time for you to move on. So the next four years, I helped establish Open Gate International, which is a nonprofit that works with not just human trafficking survivors, but people that come from any vulnerable population, people that are coming out of prison, domestic violence victims, veterans coming back home from serving overseas, um, you name it, anybody that, gang people, people coming out, of, you name it, anybody that fell within that vulnerable population, we created a culinary arts program and a life skills program, and we started in uh, January of 2017, and it quickly grew. We grew into Mexico, we went to Moldova, we started in Cambodia and also in India. And by the time uh, I resigned that position, we had helped over 200 people graduate our program. So it was, it w it's been an interesting ride, I'll just say that. But when I know that the Lord is moving me, even though it's difficult, um, I know that it's time to go. And that happened again last year uh, in October. The Lord said, you've completed your assignment here. It's time for you to go home. Because literally I've been away from my home more than I have been home in the last four years. I kind of feel like I've been on a deployment, if you know what I mean. Um, I loved what I did at Open Gate and it's still, the work is still going on today. Um, but he, he sent me home. What do you see in your future from here on? Well, I've published three books since I've been home that I've been working on for the past four years. I would love nothing more, Pastor Don, than for the Lord to allow me to have an influence with the leaders on the cultural mountains, not only in the nation of the United States, but all over the world, because I see such a need for it. I am very passionate about what happens in our government, what happens in our in the political realm, but also in the church realm, in seeing the body of Christ raise up to, to meet what the enemy is handing us to deal with in these days, and for us to be the remnant army that God has called us to be, to win as many people as we possibly can to the Lord, equip the body to do what it's supposed to do so we can usher in the second coming of Christ. So uh, what is your plans just in the next six months? I'm here. Uh, uh, 
being a wife, being a mom, being a nana. Um, I'm writing, doing as much as I can with digital media, trying to take advantage of those opportunities. And when people like Pastor Don Clowers call and say, would you be on my podcast? I can say, yes, as a matter of fact, I can. I'm just, I'm in the season of recuperating from being gone for so long, healing, growing, seeking God. I believe it's a season of respite and rest before he launches me into my next assignment. Well, Judy, you know, you, you your testimony is so huge, and I see God in you so big, and it's just a joy for you to be here, and I, I, I wish we had another hour to to just listen to you. I mean, very few guests do I just sit and listen, <laughs> but you're, you're so captivating by your story that God miraculously took you from a darkness from abortion, uh, guilt, shame, to a, a mother, a grandmother, um, a woman of God, a pastor, anointed. So I tell you what I'd like for you to do. I don't. We don't know what the scope of our audience is and who's listening right now. But I do know that somebody. I felt it well ago that somebody was just having a hard time with their mind and you said you know one of the things that really helped you was Joyce Meyer's book of uh, uh, the battlefield of the mind which is a great book and now I know your books are great and wonderful and we'll put the website on where they can get your books because I really would encourage anybody that's watching right now to get a, a book by Judy Lamborn uh, I wish I had time to talk about each book, but um, I'm going to wind this up. We'll just have to have you back on soon, and Anytime. and I'd love to talk you about several different subjects. But um, I think as it's time to bring this to a close. So, what what would be um, what what would be something that you want people to know about Judy? And wrap that up as quickly as you can, and then I want you to pray for our audience. Sure. When you look at me now, I'm not the person that I used to be. I am not that scared, frightened little girl who didn't understand the bad things that were happening to her. I am not that adolescent who was addicted to pornography and shaped her ideas of, of women. I am not that drug-addicted, alcoholic, brothel prostitute who was forced to have an abortion. I am a redeemed woman of God, just like Pastor Don said. Yes, my story is dramatic, but God is not a respecter of stories. My story may be different from yours, but it doesn't matter what it is. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, there is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot forgive. In your mind, if you speak the word of God out of your mouth, it is the only weapon that we have that will defeat the power of the enemy in our minds. I have to do it every single day. Every single day. I do it every single day. It is a war that we're in. It's a battle that we're in. When you look at me now, I am not even a shell of the woman that I used to be. Amen. Now I am content, fulfilled, satisfied, and you can be the same way too. God's Amen. not a respecter of persons. What he did for me, he'll do for you right now. All you need to do is ask him. All right. I want you to pray for our audience. And they may be someone or many watching right now that you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Or perhaps somewhere you did and you've gone backwards and you don't know Jesus as Lord. Why don't you 
just submit your heart and life to the Lord Jesus. And when Judy prays here in just a moment, you may be, you may have a past that's tormenting you. You may have a marriage that's just struggling. You may be a single person feeling lonely and like, God, where are you? Whatever your situations are, God will heal you everywhere you hurt. And Judy, you know, you're anointed. God has used you. We just heard a portion of your story. But I've got a number of ideas in my mind I want to have you back and have you talk about. But as we leave, I, I want you to just pour your heart into this prayer. And I want everybody that needs a touch from God in any area. If you've got, um, if, if, if there's no, you feel like you're not, have, you have no value, no self-worth, you've got a low self-image, whatever it is. Maybe um, you feel rejected. All of these things all just pile up together. And you may be in some kind of depression. I don't know. But Judy, pray this prayer right now. And I believe God is going to touch people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you grateful. Grateful that with you, nothing is impossible. Lord, I pray for every single person who is listening to my voice right now. You know every detail of their life. You know the pain that they are carrying, that they don't think anybody knows about. They, they don't think anybody can see or feel what they're going through, but God, you do. And I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you reach out and wrap your loving arms around them and let them know that you've always been with them, you always will be with them, and you will be with them forever. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to the people that are listening to me right now just the way you revealed yourself to me. I want them to know you as Abba. I want them to know you as their heavenly Father. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself not only as redeemer and healer and father, leader and guide and comforter, but you are the ultimate forgiver of sin. Father, I pray for everyone who's listening to me right now. I take authority over depression and suicide, over shame and guilt and regret. I, I take authority over the labels that people have put on themselves or allowed other people to put on them, and I command them to come off now in the name of Jesus. I cancel every plot, plan, scheme, and strategy of the enemy against you right now in Jesus' name. I speak the word of God over you. I plead the blood of Jesus over you, and I declare that you will fulfill the call of God on your life. You will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. You'll live out your full length of days and fulfill everything that the Lord has for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that nothing's impossible with you. I pray for those who are struggling to see themselves the way you see them, that you would reveal them, reveal them, show them the way you see them. Paint a picture in their spirit so they can hear it. I pray that you would give people visions and dreams and you would visit them, Lord. I thank you for manifesting yourself to these, to everyone who is listening. I want them to know you, Jesus. I want them to know your power, your forgiveness. I thank you, God, for victory. I thank you that testimonies are going to come to Pastor Don and Ms. Sharon of people who got free, people who were free of guilt, shame, and condemnation, people who gave their lives to the Lord. I thank you, God, for chains being broken, bondages being broken, addictions being healed. I thank you, God, for people who are addicted to pornography, people who have committed adultery. Father, I thank you that people are making changes in their life right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it. I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for continuing to open doors of opportunity so that I can share with the world what you have done for me. 
I love you so much, Abba. I'm so grateful for everything, everything. You are the love of my life. You are the reason I live. I love you and I worship you. And I pray all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. 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 What a prayer. Well, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'd like to elaborate even on the prayer, but our time is, is, has run out. And I just want to say, Judy, uh, my heart's touched by how God has touched you. Give my love to Rick and say hello to him for me. And I just thank you for being here with us today. And, and I pray that God will bless your ministry, your future, the books, that they will just start flying out of the office there and that the new one you're writing and getting published, I just pray it'll be a success in the sense of many people will read it and their life will be changed. So thank you, Judy, for being here. And um, I pray that the plans that God has for you, that you'll just step into those and you'll be overwhelmed with God's success. Thank you again for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, Pastor Don. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Well, I want to say to our audience, this has been an awesome time. And your God has transformed her life. And now here she is, a great woman of God, a, a wife, a mother, a grandmother. And God can change you. God can do the same for you. Well, it's been a joy here to be with you this evening and to have my guest Judy with me. God bless you. And remember, watch us Sunday night live or Sunday morning live at 10 a.m. Central Time right here on whatever app that you're watching on. We'll be on the same ones at Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Well, God bless you, and we'll see you soon.